Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is Thursday, 4.08, drive time with Russia. So glad to have you spending time with us as we get ready to come out of the deep freeze from yesterday and hit a record high this weekend. So strange. So strange. Kind of nice. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've sort of enjoyed this warmish winter. Uh, and we get a bonus day, right? Leap day. But we'll talk about leap day with Laura in about an hour. I think... Every single company I've ever interacted with has sent me an email offering me 29% off something today. So clever. (laughs) 29% off. Get it. Uh, Let's do Derusha Eats. Derusha Eats is brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board. Our guest today is really uh, a prolific restaurateur, opening a number of different concepts here in the Twin Cities. He just opened... A cafe. He's opening a full service restaurant. His first full service restaurant after being in food halls in the state fair. Gerard Class is with us. Gerard, it's so good to see you. Thanks. It's good to see you again, too. You know, I was thinking the first time that I think I interviewed you was back when you were starting a burger concept out at Mall of America. I was I was looking at that picture yesterday. I'm going to show it to you before I leave. Oh, funny. Yeah. yeah burger, burger. Yes. Burger, burger. And correct. how many years ago was that? A, a lifetime ago. It feels like it, right? Chef years. It was a lifetime ago. Yeah. Probably at least seven or eight. Yeah. Burger, burger was uh, part of. Uh, Cascade Hospitality, part of Crave. Yep, correct. And you that that was really where you kind of is that where you feel like you cut your teeth as as a chef. Definitely, I was at uh, Cascade for ten years. I opened something like ten restaurants for them across the country, and lived out of a suitcase for a little while. It was a great time back then. Great time, boy. Yeah, and then you went out on your own. Then I went out on my own. Uh, me and my wife met in the restaurant, so we were kind of Did you meet at Crave? When did we you met do- at Crave. She was the host at the front door, and I was the pizza guy. How about that? Yeah. That's a tale as old as time that at restaurants, it. right? That is it. Googly eye and at the front of the house from the back of the house. <laughs> you know, you did pretty well. She is a, a beautiful woman and an incredible businesswoman, too. She's been a great partner for you. Incredible. It is. Uh, I think she's one of the most underrated female business owners in Minneapolis and uh just her tenacity with front of house, and she's evolved to doing cocktail programs and things across the city. So she's, she does her thing, man. Couldn't do it without her. Soul Bowl is the concept that I think most people know you for. Yes. That opened about six years ago. Yep. And for you, talk, talk about the journey as a, as a black chef trying to open a soul food concept here in Minnesota. Yeah, when I got started, we really wanted to figure out, like, how do chefs – get people to see their product. And there wasn't really like a vessel for that. And so uh, I was actually in Miami opening a restaurant with Cascade. And it was the first time I ever seen a chef do a pop-up. And so when I saw that pop-up, a guy couldn't afford the space he was trying to get yet. And the landlord let him lease and do these dinners to raise the money he needed to buy the place. And I thought it was a really cool concept, but I had never seen it here. 
Uh, and so I came back and tried to figure out how are we going to make this thing open? How do we do a restaurant for a day or for a weekend? To see if it works. To see and, if it works. Yeah. Because previous to that, it's like you had to have all the money invested in and you know go through everything to even see if this idea was something that people wanted. and so Which is hard. It's hard to get funding. It's hard to get financing. It's a very big investment to not have any data or confidence. Like, do people even like this before you even yeah. you know get into business? If you're a banker, you're like, I don't know, man. Like, is this a good, do I want to give you a loan or not? I don't that know. That is it. Restaurants is always a great way to lose money if you don't know what you're doing. So right. we started on that uh, process doing the pop-ups. We would do it on our days off. We were still working full time. We would take our paychecks and bet it that we would at least break even. And uh, <laughs> we would do that on weekends. And then we started doing it every weekend um, and found little cafes that were closed and we would pay them to, you know, use their space and, um, thus kind of like the chef pop-up, uh, gold rush began here in Minneapolis and it was a cool experience. We have some friends in tech and so they really told us to like, use this like your beta test. And, mm. um, so we did ch- taste different menus and different price points around the North side of Minneapolis and got a lot of great feedback. And, um, we actually got into target field as a vendor before we had a restaurant, which was wild had a relationship with somebody I knew from my corporate experience. Is that how you got into Target Field? Mm-hmm. And they yeah. uh, asked me if I wanted to do it, and I was like, yeah, no-brainer. Right. Um, and a little bit after that, uh, I tried to buy a building. The building fell through. I had to pay my dues as a you know, person looking for a place. And then uh, we got into Gray's. Gray's reached out. and That's it, a food hall right near Target Field. Yep. So it was a brand-new uh, concept, second food hall that was here, first one in Minneapolis. And uh, I got a chance to get in, and I loved it. I loved that competitive energy. I loved being around a diverse group of chefs and different types of food, and I thought it was really going to be something special. At the Mm -hmm. time, people thought I was crazy for putting soul food in North Loop, but (laughs) five years later, uh, six years later, it has panned out. Gerard Class is with us. Soul Bowl was his first concept, but he's about to open his first full-service concept right in the Mill District. Uh, Tell us about Classics Kitchen. Yes. Yeah, so uh, what was cool is our first ever pop-up, even before Soul Bowl was, a, was an idea, was called Classics. And we had this concept where we would take a DJ in the middle of the dining room and we would do the food. And um, I was doing all these fusion dishes and just fresh from traveling. And so testing out all these things. It was a little far out for the time period. And so we kind of transitioned in the Soul Bowl. Uh, but here seven years later, we are going to bring uh, the food from this concept to life. And uh, it's really kind of my uh, thank you, my love letter to Minneapolis for all of the years and the culinary travel. So I'm an African-American and Guyanese-American chef. Uh, I grew up in Seattle. I live here in Minneapolis. I've This will be my 23rd restaurant opening. 23rd. Uh, wow. And I'm not that old. No. Uh, How old are you? 35. Yeah. So uh, I've done a lot and got to travel and had different palates. And so I get to kind of put the food out in the lens that I want. And me and Brittany came from full service. We probably know more about that than quick service uh, and the food hog game. And so this concept is dishes I grew up. And it'll be things that you're familiar with, but it's really going to be food through my lens. So we're doing things like jerk chicken taquitos. We're doing a Haitian stew chicken fettuccine, curry chicken gnocchi, um, and so we're fusing a lot of fun dishes with some Caribbean and Southern spices, but in a more um, full-service way. Gerard Class is with us uh, soon. When does Classics open up? Classics opens this Tuesday. Oh, man. 
We'll be up live. So how do you have time to come over and talk to me? Today? I don't. They think I'm in the bathroom right now. <laughs> what is the hardest thing about now? You're you're uh, opening in a space that was a restaurant before. Correct. Correct. Uh, I am. And in, it's big. Like it's a big space. If yeah, I remember right, it's, I, a, it's a big space. It's a full size. We got about hundred seats in there. Patio. This is right by the river. Right yeah. by like where that old Dunn brother is. The Dunn brother still there. Dunn the brother's corner? still there. Yeah. Right down the street from the Guthrie. By the Guthrie. Yeah. Yep, so so right people know where that is. A mm-hmm. lot of housing over there. A lot of you have a built-in audience. I love it. It is uh, interesting to be eight blocks away from uh, North Loop. It just feels like a totally different vibe over there. A um, little more chill in the Mill District. A little more quieter. chill and people still out, but same yeah. same density and uh, a really cool neighborhood, I think, that's in need of a little local restaurant. What's the hardest thing about kind of getting ready to open a restaurant? Uh, probably just people. You need a lot of them, and the industry has changed so much with the pandemic Getting all the people you need for all the positions to make a well-oiled restaurant is a little more challenging these days than it was pre-pandemic. Now, you have dealt with being a counter service in a food hall. You have dealt with pretty much every model of service charge, fee, all of this different stuff. A state legislator was on with us earlier this week, uh, and there are going to be a bunch of bills that will come up that are going to try to wipe out service fees. Yeah. Uh, the federal government doesn't like, they call them junk fees. Nobody, nobody likes a fee. Yep. What, what's sort of your take on that? I think, uh, it's, it's a hard pickle. I think restaurants are only really doing this because of the cost that they're trying to keep up with and the rising cost of wages and the rising cost of, uh, employees, but people only want to pay so much to go out to eat, you know, and the higher price you are, the less frequency and traffic that you get. And it's an equation. And for us, we're trying to figure out how to stay alive. Uh, I think there's people that abuse it and can have high percentages. And I think there's people that use it to cover the gaps that they need to stay afloat. Um, It's sort of the idea like if you have a a $15 burger and a 10% fee that – when people are comparison shopping, that that's better for some crazy psychological reason than charging, you know, just the extra buck 50. And I, I watched the Facebook uh, threads where people are going back and forth about their comments on it. And some people say just price it in the food. You know, I think yeah. that's more the old school way of doing it. They had uh, things they had to pay for and you didn't necessarily see it. But this generation is different. They want to know what they're spending the money on and what it's going to and a lot of places, I think it has gained some credibility to know it's going towards benefits or fair I wages. I kind of like that, to be uh, honest. You know, the like, business is yeah. taking care of them. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, to me, I don't care. Like, it does, like, I'm paying what I'm paying. It doesn't really matter. But I understand that, well, when I take calls and emails on this topic, I am in the minority. Like, people yep. hate them. Yep. Overwhelmingly, certainly people of a certain age hate the fees. Yeah. I, I, and I think there's other ways to give back to restaurants with uh, taxes or licensing fees that they have to pay that will help offset some of these costs. But yeah. restaurants is a margin game, and, you know, you, it, it is not the highest profitability business that you can get into. And uh, a lot of these concepts are just trying to – make it. They're just trying to like yeah. make ends meet. And this is the way that they're doing it. Gerard class is with us. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll get his three recommendations on restaurants. He likes to go visit. Plus we'll play our pick a number game where a random question will be assigned and uh, Gerard will answer it right on the spot. The owner of soul ball. He's been at the state fair. He's been at Gray's food hall and now he's opening a full service restaurant. Great option as you're 
heading to see a show down at the Guthrie or just hanging out over by uh, Mill City Museum. 420, DeRussia Eats, coming right back. <laughs> DeRussia Eats. Gerard Class is with us. We're just talking about his son who's got a birthday coming up this weekend. Man, it takes me back to those days, right? You're having the first sleepover? First sleepover. Are you nervous about this? I'm very nervous. I, uh, Me and mom are trying to make cool things, and I think we're in that parent age where our ideas aren't that cool anymore. No, nothing about you. So we're trying to like plan some wow stuff, and he's kind of like, and what yeah. else are we doing after that? <laughs> <laughs> he's turning seven. Turning seven. Do you make? Do you cook for the family uh, for the family party, or do you bring in like pizza or something? Uh, special your... event stuff, I definitely throw down. My wife does more of the day to day cooking, but okay. if it's any kind of special events or somebody wants something special, I'm throwing. That's down. your your time. Yep. Is it so? Uh, people ask me this about my kids because, you know, I write about food. So they're like, oh, are your kids like really adventurous eaters? Do, what what about what about the chefs, the kid of two cooks? He he is adventurous. I, I, I have this thing with him that I tell him chefs taste everything. So even if you don't like it, you got to at least be open to taste it. Um, he's still a kid, but his favorite dish is orange chicken. And that's a that's, perfect kid that's dish thing. to like, love. He, like, he loves great. it. He finds something quirky every once in a while that he'll enjoy, and uh, but he's he's open to trying it. He's not averse to just like, I don't even want to taste this. He'll eat a little sushi. He'll do yeah. some Asian food. So, what's it been like for you to be at the Minnesota State Fair? Man, that was just amazing opportunity. I heard all the stories of how long it takes to get into the fair and the infrastructure that you need, and so. Um, right around the time we got into the Twin Stadium, before we had a restaurant, I had a friend that said, just put an app in. You don't know what's going to happen down the road. They're not going to call you today. Just put an application in. Get in the queue. Get, get in it. the queue, yep. and then when the time is right, they'll call. And so they had a new food and beverage director. She got a chance to get some of our food at a Timberwolves game. Uh, uh, and so I think that helped a little bit, and so we were able to get into the fair and – just to have the representation of soul food and food that I grew up on is so cool out there. And to be able to do fried chicken on a stick with the soul sickle is just, yeah. is nostalgia. And now it's kind of working its way into people's little favorites that they come to get. They get a lemonade, they get a soul sickle. And it's crazy. It's wacky every year. It was so hot this last year. Oh, um, yeah. But I, I really have a true deep appreciation for people who come and just execute the fair like it's nobody's business every year it is not easy uh hiring 20 people and getting them all ready to go in a couple of days and then doing that kind of volume for 10 12 hours uh but it was fun me and yvain got to come in at the same year and it's cool to see chefs get an opportunity to put their spin on it i'm glad that they're balancing it out and just even local restaurants you it's know? significant to have you two guys there i think yeah. like it it helps tell the story of what the minnesota food community really is about yeah. like it's it's it is more diverse than ever. Yeah, and I and I think it helps so much whether you're African American or you're Hmong to be able to see the food that you grew up on represented at the fair for you know demographics yeah. to have just such big populations here. So totally it's fun. It, it is fun. It's crazy every year though. The fair is the one spot that I think like this is one thing I think about when I travel. You go to other cities and you go to the good restaurants in those cities and you see a diverse crowd. And here in Minnesota, sometimes. You know, I can go to a restaurant and look around and see, you know, 60 tables and only two with black people at it mm -hmm. or 
Asian people or whatever. And I miss that energy that you get of looking at a room. And at the fair, you do kind of get that. Like you get Mm -hmm. every every walk of life, everybody's there. And what's nice, too, is that I think because you're already at the fair, there's this space that, like, I can try something new. It's Mm. expected that you're going to try something wacky. Outside of the fair, it's just like you don't always – people don't always have that mindset. Yeah, like you're not going to – I'm going to go to this restaurant even if I'm not familiar with this Cuisine. There's great Ecuadorian restaurants here or, you know, yeah. there's African food, Nigerian restaurants like people might be nervous to try. But at the fair, it's like you're open minded. It just Why is not? part of the Take experience. a flyer. Yeah. That's it. Try yeah. something crazy. Gerard Class is here. Classics Cafe is going to open up uh, on Tuesday here in Minneapolis. I need you to pick a number uh, between one and 20, one and 38, one and 38. Uh, I'm going to go 35. Number 35. Aside from a knife, what is your favorite kitchen tool? Aside from a knife, my favorite kitchen tool um, is probably tongs. Tongs. You're not a tweezers guy. I'm not a tweezers guy. Um, No, no, no. The real answer is knife. It's a knife. It's a knife, but tongs (laughs) is good for me. Tongs is a spoon. Yeah. Tongs helps as a bottle opener. You grab the end and you're able to uh, get that. You can open a, you can crack a beer with it. Uh, I'm pretty versatile with a with the pair of tongs. Grilling is good. Great on a flat top. I can uh, scoop a little pinch of salt in something. It's a teaspoon if I need it to be. Uh, so you I can I would smack probably, your seven year old in the butt like that. Works you can too. reach him from across right. the room. You know. The tongue is good. The yeah. tongue, that's a good answer. Good answer. All right, before we go, three restaurants that you like visiting here in the Twin Cities from Gerard Class, a Soul Bowl, Classics Cafe coming soon. What's number one? Number one, I got to shout out Camden Social, a uh, restaurant I'm uh, blessed to be a part of, but a really unique experience, really focused on just unearthing some of the stereotypes uh, that have happened in North Minneapolis, and it is a great experience. A little speakeasy, cognac bar, some delicious uh, comfort food that they're serving. And um, my partner also has his own cigar brand called Lure. And it's just a fun time. They do a jazz brunch and a R&B brunch on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and just a great night out. Great nice. night out. Camden Social. Camden Social. Right in Minneapolis. All right. Number two. Gokaya Bistro. Mm, yes. Um Chef Pedro does just an amazing job uh, representing, and I love his mix with uh, Louisiana and Southern cuisine and the Puerto Rican food. Um, it's delicious. It's always beautiful when I'm there. It's consistent. It's a great price point, and you're going to learn something and try something new that you never had, and it just is It's a delicious place to go. Cool. Right in the North Loop. Yep. Across from the Hewing. Number three? I got to go with Lap 14. I like the OG. Ah, yes. Um, that used to be my date night spot for many years. And uh, those jalapeno basil wings, just oh, they so just good. do something to me. I'm a Pad Thai person. I grew up in Seattle. Uh, a lot of Thai influence there. And so I eat Pad Thai wherever I go. And they do just a wonderful, amazing job. Golden Valley, Anna Med, Yep. Right by Care 11. Hero. She's awesome. Yep. Uh, you're awesome, too. I'm so excited to see your continued success and can't Appreciate wait to it. check out your new place next week. Classics Cafe. Gerard Class. K-L-A-S-S. That's the, get it? Classics. That's the bit. Thanks, Gerard. 432. Uh, surplus. New report today with big money.
that the state is collecting. We'll talk with the top Republican in the state Senate in just a minute. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. The top Republican in the Minnesota Senate is with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline State Senator Mark Johnson to react to the news of the latest forecast. Do we get extra money in the budget because it's a leap day, Mark? Is that how that works? I like I like the way that sounds. Yeah, that that's good. <laughs> uh, no, I I think uh, we, we do have a little bit better numbers, uh, it looks like. But, uh, you know, I think it's when you look to the future on that one. It's the same story as what we saw back in November, too. $3.7 billion state surplus is projected. You know, the one the one thing that strikes me and the question that I think a lot of uh, Minnesotans are wondering is like, all right, if we have a surplus every single time we get a new estimate, are we being overtaxed? Is the state collecting too much of our money? If you look at, at the different ratings across the nation, I mean, whether it's corporate tax, whether it's it's personal income tax, I mean, we're either number one or within the top four uh, on those on those projections. And so we increased uh, government spending by 40 percent last session. Right. So government is well taken care of. And what we need to be looking at is what's going on with uh, Minnesota families, what's going on with our Minnesota businesses. I think when you go and you talk to those folks, uh, they feel the burden right now. They feel the burden of inflation. They feel the burden of taxes on their billfolds. I don't know why we're not focusing more on Minnesota families, but the Democrats just seem concerned about growing government right now. And, and keep in mind, too, Jason, that $3.7 million, billion, that's what's in the bank. But when you look at the expenses and the revenue, we're flipped. So we've got more expenses than we do revenue going forward. And so what that means is, yeah, you can you can pay the bills for a little while longer, but eventually you're going to run out of money. And we see that about two years out, two to four years out here. Unless we do something right now, this session, uh, it's going to be pretty bleak for Minnesota going going forward. So we've got to be conscious of that. This whole idea of a, of a surplus just means that we have some money in the bank, and we've got to be careful with that. The governor today said that, uh, you know, sort of echoed what, what you're saying, he's saying that the state economy is humming along, but uh, the fact that this surplus is up, what, it's up about a, mm-hmm. a 1.7, 1.3 1. from the December. 1.3. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's still saying, look, uh, he seems to be cautioning his DFL colleagues in the legislature to, to not go crazy with spending this surplus. What is, what is, <laughs> so sur- Jason, what's your take? We, on we that? heard that same rhetoric last year when, when the governor got up in front of one of these uh, early session uh, type meetings where we talk a little bit about what our priorities are. And he said, I am a fiscal conservative. And so we're going to, you know, keep our spending tight. And then we went through 17.5 billion dollars of surplus last year and not only that we raised taxes on minnesotans by another 10 billion dollars 
So there's nothing fiscally conservative about the Democrat-run Senate or House or the governor's office. Uh, so uh, once the rhetoric starts matching up with the actual actions, you know, you you probably can't rely on that uh, that rhetoric right now. Do you think that uh, there will be caution in the legislature, or do you do you expect that uh, the DFL majority in the House and in the Senate will will spend the surplus? <laughs> well, I, I think if you want to if you want an indicator of what their prior priorities are going to be, look at one of the first bills that they dropped was the sanctuary state bill. I mean, although some people say, well, that may not pass. Well, that's true. But now we've signaled out to the rest of the country that, hey, if you can make it to Minnesota, not only are we going to give you a, a driver's license here and pay for your health care, but we're going to try to protect you. And whether that bill becomes law or not, that's a signal that we've sent. And so our schools are going to see increased uh, population in them. Our, our county resources are going to have a whole lot more pressure on them as well. And so this is the sort of thing that we've got to take a step back from and just say, how can we take care of Minnesota? Take care of making sure that, that our folks aren't stuck in a, in a driver's license uh, line at DBS. Uh, you know, they're able to do the things that they need to do with, with their business, make sure that the roads and bridges are, are taken care of. I mean, we really need to focus on the bread and butter instead of these wild spending uh, ideas that are going on around here. Senate Minority Leader Mark Johnson, Republican, with us here on CCO. Uh, Mark, when you know you you say wild spending ideas, when you look at what you know, KSTP did a Minnesota poll and asked about some of the things that the legislature passed, some of the spending things, and sure. they're wildly popular. The universal lunches at school, wildly popular uh, in this Minnesota poll. Uh, some of the, yeah. uh, you know, child care type things, the child tax credit, uh, you know, these things are very, very popular with Minnesotans. Oh, ab- absolutely, Jason. And, and Republicans had proposals on a number of these ideas uh, before the Democrats got after it. And so let's take paid family medical leave. We had a system that we had put together that, that gave a private option for that. So you could buy that just like you do, you know, your workman's right. comp policy and, and all that. Um, and you could do that in a way that you didn't have to build in 40% increase in government spending. And it was a way that the businesses were behind it, employees were behind it, common sense things. But what happened when the Democrats got control is they increased spending by 40 percent, increasing the amount of hires. So now our, our government is competing with our private sector for for finding people while well, employment is historically low. I mean, this is driving inflation in this state and really making it tough for people to want to stay and be here. So, you know, there's some great ideas and, and we support a lot of that stuff. But the way that they went behind around it uh, was it was absolutely the wrong way of doing it and ends up costing Minnesota families so much more money. How do how do Republicans convince voters of that? Because you need to win elections if you're going to try to make these cases. And right now, the Democrats are running the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, the back in 2022, when this all uh, started going down, I think the, the big driver was, uh, you know, the Roe v. Wade case that that had come through. And so now that was their way of, of looking at that election. And so that kind of gave them some cover. But now their real policies and their priorities are starting to hit Minnesota's pocketbooks. And it, it's about 
you know, uh, what our schools are doing. How are we investing into schools? How are we investing into roads and bridges? What's happening to my ability to to work in, in this state? And so those sorts of restraints, uh, you know, it, it's really getting to be difficult for a lot of Minnesota families, and that's what we want to repair. State Senator Mark Johnson with us uh, here on CCO. You know, part of part of the challenge for Republicans, I think, is the fact that, you know, uh, when when Democrats spend money uh, on things that are popular, uh, Republicans look like yeah. sort of the crabby party of no, we don't want to do this. <laughs> no, we don't want we don't want kids to have uh, lunch in school. It is like it, it is when you're in the minority and you're opposing spending. Uh, I think it's yeah. fair to look at and say, like, all right, well, what is the positive agenda instead of just the no, no, no? Sure. And and so and that's the way that it's been characterized. And you saw the governor today during that uh, press conference that we had with the budget release where he said Republicans want to get rid of uh, universal school lunches. When have leadership within the Republican caucuses, either one, said that's what we want to do? Nobody's ever said that. So they are putting words in our mouth and trying to really run the story of, of what what our priorities are. And that's clearly not it. We want to make sure that we have the best education system in the state. That used to be something we were so proud of as Minnesotans. We want to have the best environment in this state where people can come and enjoy our lakes, our streams, those sorts of things. This is what we want to do, but we want to do it in a way that balances the needs of Minnesotans and also you know, what we can do in our budget. And so that's a fine balance, but you saw the, yeah. the Democrats go so far to the left last year, so extreme. Minnesota's not going to be able to afford that, and you're going to see that coming down the road in a couple of years. Uh, really appreciate the time. We'll, we'll kind of see. I, lo- I look at it, and I'm like, man, if we keep having surpluses because more tax is being collected, it sort of feels like maybe – these higher taxes aren't hurting Minnesotans that much. They're still spending. The economy's still moving. It's it's not the result that I would have expected. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that much. Seeing surplus after surplus after surplus, especially with the inflation that we've seen in Minnesota, it's a little surprising. I think. Yeah. Well, I I think this is on a very short term. It's hard to make structural adjustments, but yeah. I, this is really putting us at a disadvantage, Jason. And long term, we are not going to see the growth in this state. Uh, that we should be seeing in a great state like Minnesota. Let's do things right, and then we're going to make sure that we can be sustainable. But we're not going to see that here if we keep going down this path. Senate Minority Leader Mark Johnson, we appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. Appreciate it. You ever wonder at work if they actually take the recycling and put it in the recycling bin or if it just gets dumped into the – because, you know, they're, they're cleaning out the trash – when you've already left work. So you don't really know, do you? I mean, I'm not saying, but I know. I know. I just saw, I just saw how it works. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> very discouraging. <laughs> but alas, there it was. Uh, it is leap day, so it doesn't count. It's leap day. Nothing counts today. It's a bonus day. Just texted my friend Jamie Yukis, who got married on leap day. Australia, Leap Day is over already in Australia. I don't fully understand time zones. I don't understand Leap Day. I'm glad that CNN had Bill Nye on to explain Leap Day. It's something about 
It has something to do with the earth going around a grapefruit, as far as I could tell by what he was doing on CNN. If you're a science expert and you're not explaining things with fruit, what are we really doing here? Leap day. Uh, I do feel for, well, I, I guess I don't know how to react. Should I feel for people who are born on leap day? Now, Yukis got married on Leap Day on purpose because right. she wants attention. <laughs> then you can say, like, I got married on Leap Day. It's a story for the rest of your marriage. Well, hopefully the rest of your life. Yes. Hopefully. Well, <laughs> I mean, the statistics are what the statistics are. I'm just, you know, Jamie's great. We hope the best. Absolutely. Yeah. But, like, if you are born on Leap Day, and, you know, I don't know how old you are to figure when you're, you're told what your birthday is. Probably, like, you sort of get it at, what, three or four? You sort of get your Somewhere birthday? Somewhere in there, maybe. And then you're looking at the calendar, and you're like, wait a minute. Where's the 29th? <laughs> Where's the day? Do you celebrate on the 28th or the 1st? 28th. Why? Same month as your birthday. 1st is a different month. I mean, these are all artificial lines. Yeah. You asked, I'm just answering the question. Um, did anyone take advantage of the 29% off? I saw a couple of hotels that had, I almost booked a hotel room, yeah. two hotels, Hotel Emory, downtown Minneapolis and uh, Hotel Laura in Stillwater. I mean, you might as well, right? 29. If you're a business, you might as well offer some sort of deal. Oh yeah. Now there are some businesses and honestly, like, there are some businesses that if you sent me an email today and offered a 20% discount, uh, if you offered anything other than a price of $29, 2.9% financing, maybe a $2.29 price, I'll accept that, yeah. or 29% off, just you should probably pack up your desk yeah. and call it a marketing career. You're mm-hmm. a failure. There's a coffee brand, a local coffee brand that sent me an email with 20% off today for Leap Day. No. Wrong. Devani sent out an email today that was like, happy Leap Day and nothing, no deal. Come on, Devani's. It's right there for you. 29th day, 29% off, right? Sitting on a tee. This is easy. This is low-hanging fruit is what they call it in the marketing business. That's why we're spending several minutes on it here on the show. Everybody, <laughs> that's what we do. Low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. Leap day. Your thoughts. 651-461-9226. Are you in favor of leap day? Are you against it? Overrated? Underrated? What do you think about leap day? Give me your leap day takes. Hot, hot leap day takes. That's our t-shirt for the fair. It's drive time with the Russia. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. That's what we do. I, I created an absolutely moronic thread on Twitter today. Which, what's amazing is when I'm doing something to be a smartass, and then people find it useful. Yeah. I was just posting 29% off, and then people start retweeting it like, great list from DeRussia today. Like, I was really just making fun of it. (laughs) Even when you're not trying to be helpful. The best. You're still helping. Go to Excelsior. Lakes, the Lakes Running Company, said that I inspired them. For 29% off.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.